the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. History has clearly shown that Christ is required to overcome the natural tendency of powerful forces to destroy God-given rights, including the right to hear and speak His truth. Welcome to Biblical Citizen. Let's roll with your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis. Kathleen is an author and retired registered nurse, and her husband Brian is a former company president. Kathleen and Brian discuss current events from a biblical worldview, so we as believers can influence for good in our culture and in the public square. Here is Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Hello, Biblical Citizens. I hope you all had a peaceful and a wonderful Thanksgiving celebration. We have a fascinating guest with us today. We're going to discuss two big topics that he's contributed a great deal to the study and thinking about. One is the role of the church in relation to the state, which we talk a lot about on this show, and the other is cultural Marxism and what is coming out of that and what the roots of it are. Dr. Joseph Boot, Reverend Dr. Joseph Boot, is a Christian thinker, cultural apologist, philosopher. He's also a founder of the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and the founding pastor of Westminster Chapel, Toronto. He spoke at our church last Sunday, Christ Community Church in Escondido. And if any of our listeners want to listen to his full talk, Access it at ChristCRC.com. So Joseph is originally from Great Britain, and after having lived in Canada for, I think, about 20 years, he's now returned to his native UK. He's worked in the fields of Christian apologetics, worldview education. Welcome, Dr. Boot. Uh, good morning. It's wonderful to be on the show. Yeah, great to be with you. Thank you. So, first of all, I want to ask you, what is the Ezra Institute, and where did that name come? I know there's a book in the Bible, the Book of Ezra, but uh, how does that uh, name come about? Sure. So, uh, of course, Ezra and Nehemiah, the books you refer to, they, they, uh, I think, originally were were one book. And most of the time when we hear sermons or messages on that part of Scripture, it's usually Nehemiah. Uh, and we talk about the rebuilding that Nehemiah accomplished and so on, which is wonderful. Sometimes we neglect Ezra, though, uh, who was the scholar uh, who actually called the people back to the Word of God, back to the law of God, and away from their idolatry, so that when Nehemiah comes looking for volunteers for rebuilding, the people were actually committed. Uh, it was So it was the work, actually, of Ezra that prepared the way for the rebuilding of the nation, and so uh, the name Ezra Institute, uh, the Ezra Institute was formed in um, 2009, and uh, the name really grew out of that, a vision for uh, a Christian thinking, Christian worldview and cultural apologetics, teaching and training, engaging the culture and equipping Christians to do the same. Uh, after the uh, example of the great Ezra in Scripture, the scholar who uh, alerted people to idolatry and called people back to faithfulness to the Word of God. So that's where the name really came from and inspired something of the mission and vision of the organization. Well, that is really interesting. Um, I just want to say I was just so inspired listening to you 
your sermon in the morning on last Sunday. It was November 20th. For anyone that wants to look that up, I encourage you to go there and listen to the full talk in the morning and in the evening about culture and about our role as Christians in relation to it. And so my question, let's start out. There's so much we could talk about, but... um, and I see you kind of as an Ezra now that I know what who Ezra was. I we were trying to look that up. Uh, it's there's not a lot of preaching on Ezra, but anyway, no. Um, one thing you talked about is the whole meaning of what culture really is, and of course we got culture wars going on now uh, that are more apparent than they have been. But you mm-hmm. talked about the structures of culture versus the direction of culture. And it seems like Christians get confused about this, right? And so talk about what you, you talked about about that. Yeah. Just. So culture, when we actually think about the word, um, especially if you go back to an old dictionary, uh, it really means a type of civilization. And uh, the, the word culture itself, we think about related words like agriculture um, and horticulture and so on. Um, the the root of the word cholere, in, actually in the Latin, um, it relates us to uh, the word cultus, um, culture, cultus, and the meaning of cultus is worship. And uh, we still have a kind of mm. memory of that in our in our use of the word today, because we talk about the cults oh, for yeah. certain religions. Yeah, so certain religions are called cults because the word cult, culture, cultus uh, means worship. And so actually, when we think about what culture really is, what it really means, um, I think the best definitions uh, uh, really recognize that um, uh, culture is the public manifestation. It's the public expression of our most basic beliefs. It's our religion, it's our faith being externalized. Perhaps hmm. the, the shortest and simplest definition, that I think, quite memorable, um, is that, uh, yeah, culture is just religion externalized it's our applied beliefs and um i think that does help us uh, as as christians um to think through um why it is that uh, we should be concerned with uh, culture uh, the bible actually has a term for uh, christian culture it's called the kingdom of god the rule and reign um of the lord jesus christ and i think uh, what um, i think probably what you're referring to in my talk from last sunday um was the fact that sometimes as believers we look at culture and we see areas of culture that we're troubled by. So we think about political culture, or we think about arts culture, or various aspects of culture, and then we tend to think, well, if we flee from those areas, if we run from those areas and abandon them and move to another area, uh, for example, let's just focus on the institutional life of the church, that somehow we'll get away from evil, we'll move away from sin, we'll get out of, a, we'll move away from a domain of, uh, of, of evil or darkness. But actually, that's not the biblical perspective. Scripture makes clear that God created everything good. Creation, every aspect of creation was made good. And of course, every aspect of a created reality has been marred now by the fall, um, by our sin, by the direction of our lives. And so the message of Scripture is not to abandon culture as Christians as though some part of God's creation is evil, but rather to recognize that the structure of God's creation, whether it's the structure of the family or the, or the 
church or the state uh, or um, vocational life and so forth. These are all good, well-created uh, aspects of reality. Um, the, the issue for the Christian is in terms of what direction are we going to live in those structures. We can either live in terms of obedience, true worship, faithfulness, uh, so that we redirect these areas to the glory of God, or we live in disobedience in the life of the family, the church, the state, the vocations, music, arts, economics, law, etc., etc. So sometimes we muddle structure and direction. We think that the problem is uh, some aspect of created reality itself, some domain of creation that we need to flee from to get away from evil, when in fact we're actually called to go into all of these domains and redirect them to the glory of God, to externalize our faith in the family, in the church, in politics, law, economics, the arts, in, in other words, culture, to reflect true worship. Well, I, I, I think yes. your definition and the way you explain it is very, very helpful. And in a sense, I, I may be taking this a little too far, I may not, but in a sense, the way you define culture, we're all inevitably to be uh, meant, not meant to be, but we're in some cult or another. That is, if we're not in the cult of Christ— you mentioned, for example, the cult of the experts. And I think through COVID, you were in Canada, I think, through a lot of the COVID. We've been here, of course, in Cal Gavin Newsom's California. But I think we've lived under or gotten a taste of what it's like to be under the cult of the experts. That You want to talk about mm -hmm. that term a bit? Sure. Well, the, um, the reality is that as image bearers of God— um, and as living before the face of God, uh, it is inescapable that all human beings are culture makers. So this is not a task that we as Christians can opt out of, and it's not a task that unbelievers opt out of either. To be human is to be a culture maker, is to be a responding being, somebody responding to the Word of God, either in obedience or disobedience. And so when we think about um, two quick, very simple examples, you know, grapes are creation wine is culture. Um, rubber and metal, creation, motor cars, culture. So human beings in every area of our lives are constantly involved in the building, in the creating, in the shaping of culture. So this is not something that we can say as Christians, well, I'm not really into that sort of cultural engagement thing. <laughs> by, being, yeah. by being a human being in God's world, you are a culture maker, you're a culture shaper. We are called to turn creation into a God-glorifying culture. The question is, though, how are we going to do that? And so uh, to your question, one of the there's, there's two ways we've seen this, and it's been very evident in the last few years, is that we can either do that under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, right. who is our King and our ruler, or, uh, and this, this tradition goes all the way back to the ancient Greeks, to Plato and Aristotle in their, in their uh, planned um, city-states, the, the republic, or we will end up under the lordship or rule of self-appointed experts, um, of people who believe that they are somehow anointed to govern, to rule the rest of us. In the, in the ancient world, these were the philosopher kings. And as we've become increasingly humanistic and pagan in our thinking, uh, we've uh, started to look, instead of to the Word of God, instead of to Christ, and instead of to the guidance of His people, His Church, um, we've started to say, well, no, we're going to look to a cadre of, of experts 
to govern and shape and rule uh, reality to 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 an, a self-appointed or at least a, a, a kind of anointed elite who see themselves as the guides, as the shepherds of our culture. And um, in my book, Ruler of Kings, which is, I think, what you're referring to there, um, mm-hmm. I, I speak about um, this issue of Christianity and government, Christianity and culture, and in particular deal with this modern cult of the expert, that as we have turned from, and of course you, you see this in Scripture, actually, you see it in ancient Egypt, the magicians, the sorcerers that surrounded the pharaohs, you see it where Daniel um, is, uh, and his friends are taken into the elite school in Babylon to be advisors to the, the king. These were the, these were the experts. Of course, Daniel and his friends do it faithfully in terms of the word of God, and that's why they run into all of these challenges. But it's not a new idea. It's an ancient idea that, uh, that man is going to uh, replace the word of God. He's going to uh, have a kind of messianic role in society, and he's going to govern in terms of his expertise over against um, the Word of God. And in the last two or three years, we basically saw um, uh, doctors, certain scientists or specialists in given areas believe uh, and act as though because they know something about virology or epidemiology, that they are fit and capable then of ruling the nation, of shutting down the worship of God's people, of telling people that they can't work. Uh, believing that uh, they were acting in terms of the health um, of of the people. And um, we saw it on quite terrifying display, a kind of totalitarian vision of human society under uh, unelected experts, expertise, um, where the word of God and the lordship of Christ and the spheres of authority in the family and the church and other areas of life were just set aside so that we could be ruled in this sort of absolutist way by uh, self-appointed experts on their screen on on our screens, and I would uh, argue that they time. yes, and I would argue that they they don't they're not experts. At least they were going against everything that we knew as health health uh, professionals. They weren't even going with the epidemiology that was valid. I mean, they they just ruled according to the globalist utopia. And and yes, I would like to. Recommend to our 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 listeners Doctor Boots' book, Ruler of Kings. It's really fascinating. I haven't gotten a chance to read it all of it yet, but there's the first chapter, Rule of Christ or Cult of the Expert, and then the second chapter is Globalist Utopia versus Biblical Nationhood. And and isn't the goal of the the so-called experts is to build this utopia that this idea that's been around since the Tower of Babel, they have the idea, as you just mentioned, that they can build this utopia, solve all man's problems without God, build a tower high enough to to save everybody, supposedly. And so it's it's not a new idea, and they think they can build this utopia, you know, this unity where everybody is unified. But you 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 talked about the the fallacy of thinking not only are they going to build this utopia, but they have this idea of language where they can create reality by calling into it into existence, just like God does. And it's really mm-hmm. magical thinking is what it is. Yeah. So, I'm, glad you've, um, I'm glad you've made that caveat and made that point about um, so-called expertise. 
um, th- that's what we mean by this whole idea of a self-appointed or an anointed elite. Um, what we saw in the last few years was never about so-called science, right. as though science is some kind of purely objective thing. It was an ideological agenda um, driven by a desire for increased control, um, increased social control um, of the uh, of the human population, because the goal and as you said, it's uh, an ancient one. You see the genesis of it in at the Tower of Babel is the creation of the kingdom of man. That if there is no God and no lordship of Jesus Christ and no kingdom of God, no culture of Christ, then man is going to have to build and create his own kingdom of man. And that's going to require an elite to rule um, in terms of their ideological agenda. And um, sometimes it will dress itself up in the garb of science, as you said, um, technocracy. Uh, the idea that, this, uh, that a scientific socialist planning uh, of the state of an elite is going to be able to shape society and emerge into a kind of utopia. Sometimes the tool is um, uh, our claims of computer models about um, uh, viruses or what they think the weather is going to do um, in the next 50 years. At other times, yeah. as you mentioned, it's the manipulation of language. Uh, so that a whole new vocabulary is being introduced to describe human identity, uh, the human family, human sexuality, uh, to to remake and recreate reality after their own um, imagination. It's built on this atheistic foundation that God is not the definer of all things. There is no creational law and norm. There is no providence or sovereignty of God in history. And so there's no definite nature to a human being. There's no de- definitive nature to the human family. Um, we can't talk in biblical terms about God made the male and female and uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That, that sort of ontological, to use the technical term, that sort of that this is uh, the being of creation. This is the very nature of creation, that these are norms that God has established for creation. That's rejected. And instead, we think we can use the magic word. It's a kind of occultism that by mm. um, redefining uh, and using new words, developing a, a, a new vocabulary, we're going to create new forms of existence. Um, we're going to call into being and recreate reality. We're going to recreate human sexuality. We're going to recreate the very idea of human identity. And that's all, again, part of this uh, utopian planning that we're going to emerge into some radically egalitarian, democratized world where there are no structures, no hierarchies, in a certain sense, no society, no civilization, no, no culture, uh, but uh, a, a, a utopian um, sort of pseudo heaven of sexual libertinism. And that's, that's, uh, that's, that's another strand, another part of what we're seeing in today's um, cult of the expert, where unintelligible visions of language are imposed upon people and they're told you have to rethink about reality now in this way i want to i want to build off what you're just saying to talk about a raging trend among many of our young people you're kind of touching on it and you're also explaining it and that is transgenderism the public schools social media like TikTok, for example strong Mm -hmm. influencers in this area and you discussed last sunday queer critical theory, and we don't have time to go through um, each of the thinkers of like the Frankfurt School, but could you just 
give a kind of a broad overview of what the roots of critical theory are? This this didn't just show up in 2015 or 2020, did it? No, and um, it's uh, it's been a, made remarkable progress in in Western culture. So basically, after World War One, there was a, quite a bit of disillusionment among Marxist think, thinkers that there wasn't going to be or didn't appear to be emerging a socialist revolution in the West, uh, like was seen in in uh, in Russia, and of course later in China. Um, and these uh, Marxist thinkers uh, in Europe places like Germany and Hungary, um, began to rethink the task of trying to transform Western culture. They realized that a traditional Marxist approach was not going to work because uh, it was a broadly Christianized culture and people were committed to the the family, to marriage, um, to the life of the church, to a stable nation, um, to the rule of law. And uh, they realized that that this, this idea of Western civilization needed to be undermined culturally before there could be a political revolution and economic transformation. And so uh, it was in the 1930s, um, they moved out of Germany um, and into Geneva initially, and then many of these um, these thinkers, um, mainly German intellectuals, came to the United States, uh, to Columbia in 1935, New York, Columbia University, and uh, began spreading their message. And these included people like um, uh, Marcuse, Herbert Marcuse, who was probably the the leading influence on what we today call the sexual revolution of the 1960s. Um, And um, they developed uh, people like Horkheimer and and, uh, Adorno and various others that have inspired generations of social theorists in the West. They developed critical theories, plural, and uh, this simply means um, a not simply social criticism. It means that a theory is only truly critical if it's directed toward liberation from oppression, liberation from oppression. And uh, you might say, well, what, what, what were they trying to liberate people from? What oppression are we talking about? And they would say, well, a culture, Christian culture, civilization, Western civilization, its norms of the human behavior of sexuality. It's uh, it's focus on marriage, uh, the life of the institutional church, um, the order and structure of the state and of the nation. And uh, their goal was to subvert, to ideologically subvert um, these Western ideas. Of course, we say Western civilization today, really, we're talking about um, uh, Christendom, which in its attenuated form we call Western civilization. Uh, and they believed that you would need to break down the family structure, uh, the idea of um, uh, uh, heterosexual marriage, um, of um, the uh, role and place of the Christian church in society, and even the very ideas that we have about the state, law and order, the nation, and so on. These would need to be broken down, and then there could be a new Soviet man could emerge, uh, a new uh, a utopian vision of society was very Marxist, that, and this would require a lot of centralized control initially, and then eventually the state would just fade away as a sexual libertine uh, culture um, emerges. And so much of the literature that, the, that they produced and continue to produce is directed at, at deconstructing these uh, institutions within society. And that means, of course, getting hold of the minds of the young, not just in the university, but in the schools. 
and right down into the kindergartens to queer their thinking. That is to uh, destroy their notion of uh, male, female, mum and dad, family, parents, and to uh, develop this uh, idea of gender fluidity. You've got thinkers, later thinkers like Judith Butler, the American uh, Jewish lesbian feminist, her book Gender Trouble kicking off a movement in America. And uh, this has now gone from the high academic uh, uh, universities and journals right down into where our children are playing in school as young as five and six and seven. And that, that's been the effectiveness of this movement out of Europe in the 1930s, this neo-Marxist movement. That's why it's not traditional Marxism. We can call it cultural Marxism, because the goal was to march through our institutions to transform the way people see uh, reality in society. That is a very good, succinct definition of the problem that we are seeing in our culture, in, in our world. This small group of people that have spread their ideas of breaking down and, and wanting to destroy, really, all the structures of, that God has set up the family, the church, the state in its proper role. And That's right. so, so uh, we, we're we seeing this, but we we want to know what the answer is and what Christians can do, the proper role of Christians in response to this. How then shall we live? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the vital thing, I think, for the Christian church at this time is to first uh, uh, realize that we must re-engage with the cultural task, that the Christian gospel, uh, the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus uh, announces and that we we read about throughout Scripture, is not simply uh, for a sort of upper story of existence, simply my, my going to church, my prayer life, and my Bible reading is vital and as important as those aspects of my Christian life are, the gospel is about the transformation of begins with the transformation of the heart. That's the root of our being that then affects every aspect of our lives. So that as Christians in, in our families, as Christians in our vocations, as Christians in civil society, as Christians engaged in sport and in the arts and in every aspect of culture, we're taking the Lordship of Christ, the reality of the gospel, and the truth of Scripture into all of these areas, so we're developing a robust Christian world and life view that is actually applied, not just in the institutional church, but in every aspect of cultural life. Dr. Boot, thank you so much. We could, we have to have you on again, even if we track you down in the UK. Uh, you're it's so what you make yeah. things make sense. You make things make sense. But thank you so much for being on, and have a wonderful. Uh, Sabbath day to come. My pleasure. God bless you. So to bless your neighbor this week, I suggest you go to EzraInstitute.com and purchase the book. You can do it online there. Ruler of Kings, copyright 2022 by Dr. Joseph Boot. Thank you so much. Till next week. Join us next Saturday at noon for Biblical Citizen. Let's roll. Your hosts, Brian and Kathleen Melanakis, seek to educate and activate Christians at a grassroots level, helping them to live out their responsibility to influence civic affairs for good. Next week, we will cover another major news happening from the view of the Biblical Citizen. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.